Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much for being so good to us and for being a God who does indeed answer prayer. Father, we're also grateful to know that you don't answer prayer because you are forced to, but Lord, you delight in doing so, and you delight to hear us talk to you and talk with you. We ask that you would help us to understand more about prayer. We ask, Lord, that you will cause us to depend upon you more in prayer. We also ask, Lord, that you would help us to even pray much more specifically that, Father, we may become more aware of your working in the world and the way that you answer prayer. We pray, Lord, that we will see your power and your strength. We ask, Lord, that we be encouraged by these things, that it would enable us, Father, to continue to grow in our faith, to grow in our walk with you, to continue to mature, to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. We know, Lord, that you're with us here now because you've promised us that you would always be with us. And we know, Lord, that you dwell in your church. So we do thank you once again for your presence here with us. And we do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So what we're going to do tonight is basically talk to you. Um, try to, I guess, reiterate, reconfigure, go over again all the stuff I've said over the past couple of weeks. Seems that there are some who are kind of not getting what I'm saying, or they've gotten part of it, or misunderstood part of it, and so we're going to try to put all these things together. Uh, we're talking specifically about praying for unbelievers, but I'm talking even much more specific about than this than just that. I'm talking about how do we pray for the salvation of unbelievers. So we're talking about. I guess you would call it praying evangelistically. Um, again, praying for the lost. So we're not talking about praying for those who are unsaved, who may be ill, and we're asking God to heal them. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And I never hinted that there was anything wrong with doing that. But the idea or the goal is, is to make sure that we are following not only the commands of the Bible, but also to recognize there are certain things that are modeled for us that kind of help us to really grasp what it is that we are to be doing and how we are to be doing it. When I was uh, really, really small, like six, seven years of age, like a lot of uh, kids, my parents taught me how to pray. And so they, they taught me that prayer that kids sometimes will say over dinner. God is great. God is good. Now we thank him for our food. Amen. And when we hear a little kid pray that way, we kind of think that's cute. We also think that it's good uh, that mom and dad are encouraging them to talk with the Lord. However, we would feel embarrassed for the child and the family if a 16-year-old prayed that way. I remember the first time this happened to me, I, I'm not sure what age I was, I'm guessing I was around 10, maybe 9. I really, I, I can't remember my age, but I remember the incident uh, because I was asked to pray for dinner. 
And I prayed that prayer. And then when I finished, my dad said, you need to pray again. He says, you can do much better than that. You have moved beyond that kind of praying. You need to talk to God. And so I prayed again and did not utter that prayer. Never uttered it again for the rest of my life. And so even though there was a little bit of of embarrassment there, even though it was just my family, uh, there's this idea that we have that as we grow, we should mature in all our areas of life. And the same thing is true of our praying. As we mature as believers, it's not that we're praying necessarily like babies, but we could say we might be praying like babes in Christ, meaning we, we are unaware of many different things in the Bible. We, we don't know what it says. And so as we learn theology, as we learn the Bible, our prayers begin to take a different shape. Uh, and so we begin to pray differently. We word our prayers uh, differently. And so when it comes to praying for the lost, we have, when I say we, the church in general has kind of fallen into uh, a way of praying that is just not as biblical as it should be. In fact, it's, it's really not even close. And that's when we're praying for those who are lost. We, we need to look at what the Bible says. How, how, you know, are there any commands to pray for the lost? If there are, how are those commands worded? Are there any examples of anyone praying for the lost? What do we learn from those prayers? And so that's what we did over the past couple of weeks. And and I think there's some really important and interesting things that come out of that. So tonight we're going to begin with Romans chapter 10, because this is a, uh, I guess you would call it a, a foundational truth that is going to guide us as we think about how we are to pray for the lost and for their salvation. So beginning in verse 11 of Romans 10, it says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, normally in this passage, what tends to be emphasized is individuals being sent to preach. There's nothing wrong with that, but the scripture or this passage deals with more than just that. Now, let me clarify for you that when it, when it talks about how should they hear without a preacher, that's not necessarily referring to a man who's a pastor. Uh, the preaching of the word of God, uh, we could say it this way. We are to declare the word of God. So this is, this is applicable to every single believer. Uh, how are they going to, to hear unless, uh, how should they hear without a one who makes a declaration? How should they declare unless they are sent? So I, I, I want you to get out of your mind this idea that this has to be some kind of a pastor or a missionary, that this would be all of us. But what's important about this is there's this explanation here, or there's this model here for us, 
uh, that gives to us our foundation of understanding that when it comes to salvation, salvation does not occur outside of or without the gospel message being given. It, it's a very simple concept. Most of us will, of course, it's that way, but we don't always pray that way. Sometimes we pray, and, and you'll, you'll hear it again when I talk about the way that we pray. It's almost as if the gospel is missing uh, when we're praying for the lost. So we want to make sure we keep this in mind, because I think it's going to help to guide us in the way that we pray. Uh, because, again, that's really very important uh, when it comes to that. So once again, he makes it clear in verse 13 that if anybody calls on the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved. And that much we have. Then in verse 14, he asks a question. How would they call on him uh, in whom they have not believed? In other words, if you don't believe in Christ, if you don't believe in God, how are you going to know to call out to him? Well, he then asks another question, uh, because you might, want to, you might be thinking about how to answer that. He says, and how should they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So that is key. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Christ. They need to hear about what God has done. They need to hear that. If they don't hear that, then they don't, know, they don't know that they need to call upon him. And then, of course, he then adds, and how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, how shall they hear unless what? Someone declares it to them. That's what's clear here. As we, again, uh, I mentioned to you last time in Romans chapter 1. It says that the gospel is what? The power of God to salvation. So he's telling us right there, uh, giving us some insight into the way the lost are saved. The power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not a magical power he's talking about, but it is that message. It is the message that the Spirit of God works through, works in, uh, in bringing individuals to Christ. And so apart from the giving of the gospel, apart from the hearing of the gospel, Apart from the declaration of the gospel, there's, there's no salvation coming to that individual. Now, that's important because when we pray, when I say that sometimes our prayers are devoid of the gospel, we will look at a list of names, and we may or may not know who they are or anything uh, much about them, and we ask for God to save them. Dear Lord, please save, you know, Brenda Holloway and and. Please, you know, uh, save uh, Daniel Smith. Or who, and we're, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of, there's an emptiness to that. It's almost back to the God is great, God is good. What are we asking God to do? And, and, how we, and how is God going to do this? Now, God isn't limited by our prayers. And God isn't limited because we are not praying as correctly as we should. But we are the ones who are missing out on the joy we're the ones that are missing out on seeing the specifics of, of answered prayer. And we're also missing out, in some cases, whether it involves us or someone that we know, we're missing out on being used by God in the lives of those who need Christ. So we want to make sure we keep this in mind now um, about the gospel and about the way that we're, we are to pray. So again, I'm not saying that we don't pray for the lost or we don't pray for the lost by name. We should do that, but it's the way that we pray. We need to pray, I guess we could say it this way, much more intelligently, but that really doesn't cover it. So it's, again, better to say we want to pray much more biblically. And so we go back to the Bible and ask the question, then how should one pray concerning an unsaved friend or a loved one? 
Is there anything in the Bible that helps us? Well, there is. Again, let me read to you from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, where he encourages us, praying always with all prayer, supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. And as we pointed out last time, what does Paul specifically ask them to pray for? He says that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that, I, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So again, the idea there is Paul is asking for them to pray for him. He is going to be declaring the gospel to the lost. He's concerned about the salvation of the lost, but he's not asking them to pray for the salvation of the lost. He's asking them to pray for him. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul uh, advocates that prayers be offered up on behalf of all men, for all kings and all who are in authority. In this passage, he tells us the immediate reason why we are to pray for kings and those in authority. Why would we do that? Why would Christians do that? He says, in order that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So here, this passage, it's not concerning the salvation of those that are in leadership. Again, it may not be wrong to pray for that, but that's not what the reason why he gives. The reason he gives that we ought to be praying for these men is so that we, believers, I would even say the church, might lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godless and dignity. That is what the text says. So that we can live our lives and be about the business of our king and do those things that God wants us to do. So Paul is basically then requesting prayer for governmental authorities so that they will not interfere with the free working of the church. That's really what he's getting at. And the ultimate reason, though, and this is a good thing, the ultimate reason is because God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires it to happen. How is that going to happen? It goes back in this particular passage to the church being unmolested and being able to go about the business of what God wants them to do, which is to what? to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, to reveal the power of the gospel in our lives as we interact with each other, as we bring non-believers in our midst, as we reach out uh, to the unbelieving world to share the gospel of Christ in various ways. If we're unmolested by the government, uh, that's the, the means that God's going to use to bring these individuals to himself. Now, God isn't going to be inhibited by, the, by a bad government. There's plenty of stories that come out of you know, communist-type countries where the government is very actively seeking to pursue the church and to hamper what the church does. And in those places, the church is all about, it's really simple, it's what we should be all about. They gather together as believers to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to uh, read from the Word of God, to say the Word of God, to pray for God's help, and then they go out and share what? They share the gospel. And of course for them, you know, people know they're being persecuted, but so they're being, they're being bothered by the government. But even in that, they're praying that when it comes to um, what the government does, they're asking for God to inhibit what they do, so uh, what the government does to them, so that they can be successful in what? Declaring the gospel. And many times when you read stories or hear stories of those that are, whether it's in China or different places, that is what they're asking other believers to pray for. Pray, pray that our government will no longer do this, or pray that our government will not be successful in doing this, so we can what? Share the gospel. Share the gospel with our family. Share the gospel with our loved ones. There are many individuals who don't know anything about the gospel. 
and they need to hear about Jesus Christ. And so it comes back to then the importance of declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you pay attention, we've mentioned before about how those in other places, that what we call the persecuted church, when it comes to their prayer request, again, a great uh, amount of their prayer requests are about them. But it's very specific that God would help them to love their captors, that God would uh, enable them to be a good testimony to their captors, that God would give them opportunities to share the gospel with their captors. Um, in other words, they would be faithful to God in spite of their sufferings. So what they're doing is, is, is A, what we've always been aware of, is they're not necessarily asking that they would be freed from the suffering, which would be uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but they're also concerned about the salvation of those that they come in contact with. And what they're asking primarily for us to do, is, which is actually out what we see modeled in the scripture, pray that God would give us what? Boldness, clarity, opportunity to be able to share the gospel because again there's not always those opportunities and God is the one who opens the doors God is the one who does that so when we pray for our missionaries when we pray for those for salvation we should be praying for and that's what's modeled the believers we primarily pray for the believers we're praying for the believers that are associated with the name of the non-believer that we're praying for uh, so then when it comes to, um, let's say that you're, um, you're praying for, um, uh, well, if I, okay, so as I, if, if I'm going to be praying for Tim and his family, or, or anyone who has kids, what I'm going to be asking, and, and let's say, you know, we all want our kids to come to know Christ. So what we should be doing, or the better way to pray, is we don't just say, dear Lord, please save all of Tim's children. Now that, 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 can, that sounds good, and we do mean well, but it's better to pray that God would give both Tim and Lauren, or whoever the parents happen to be, opportunities to share the gospel of Christ with their children several times in their life. That God would give them clarity and being able to communicate. That God would give them boldness. Not that they are, not that they are afraid to share the gospel with their kids, but the sharing, the sharing of the gospel does require wisdom. The way that we communicate, how we communicate. All the various ways that we try to explain and illustrate the various points of the scripture. And we need the wisdom of God uh, because we can muddy that up. You know, we can mean well and still, and our kids can just completely miss uh, whatever the point is that we're trying to make or points that we're trying to make. So when we do that, we're now praying for our brother and sister in the Lord. We're asking God to do these specific things. And then uh, we can begin to look and see the answers that God's going to provide. There's, there's, there's much more involvement, I would say, in, in that kind of praying. Uh, if I'm praying for them in that way, I'm much more involved, uh, even though I'm, I'm still maybe at a distance, I'm much more involved in their life as I'm praying for them. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm using the examples of the scripture. Once again, uh, I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew. Remember that Jesus, this is the teaching of Jesus himself. Uh, we know that Jesus came to save the lost. That's why he came. And so it says in uh, Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So he has compassion on these individuals 
They don't know God. They have no relationship for God, with God. And so he then turns to his disciples and he, and he says, you see all these unsaved people? You need to pray that God will save them. That's not what he says. What he says is, the harvest is truly plentiful. In other words, there are many out there that, I guess you could say it this way, that are like ready to, to believe in, in the Messiah. So this is what you do. There's only a few laborers. He marks that as being the primary problem. So what do you do? Pray that the Lord of the harvest, which is God the Father, to send out laborers. So back to our illustration. So let's say that um, one, one of your children goes off to college. And let's say that you're unsure if your child is a true believer. Or maybe you know that your child is not a believer. And we, we are going to pray for their salvation. But how should we pray? Well, one of, the ways that we sh- one of the ways that we should pray specifically would be that God would what? Raise up believers who will make contact with your child. Whether it's a campus ministry, whether it's a church that's coming onto the campus to do something, or perhaps it's, a, it's a believers that are there attending the school that maybe invite your child to go within the church. Whatever happens to be, we pray that God would raise up believers because that's how God's going to uh, bring individuals to Christ is through individuals who do what? Share the gospel. And so that's how we are to pray. So again, the idea is just for us to get much more involved. So, so if we take that to the next step, or maybe uh, uh, another way to illustrate this, it would be this. So let's say that um, I, I explain to you that, that I'm, you know, I've got this job and I'm working in a in an in a, in environment where there are several non-believers. doesn't matter if it's a good or bad environment. That's just really unimportant. But I'm working with non-believers. And, of course, we, what, we, what do we understand about non-believers? They all need Christ. They need Jesus. We should pray for their salvation. Well, how would we do that? Well, who's the believer that's there? Well, it's you. So this is how we pray. That God would give you wisdom, give you opportunities, that God would enable you to speak boldly and clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what that does, because sometimes what happens is, is, is uh, I guess it's possible for a person to have maybe a kind of a naive view towards things, where, we're in the, where we are placed in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation, which Philippians tells us, where we're in a work environment, where we're the only believer... And we're asking others to pray for the, for the salvation of these individuals. And it's almost as if, and I don't know if anyone here has ever done this. I think some people within Christianity have. But the idea is, is that we've now done our duty. I've got people praying for their salvation. And that's, that's, not, our, that's, that's, that's not it. That's a small part of it. We have that responsibility. What does Philippians again say? God has placed you in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation so that you may shine as lights. And so who do we pray for? The believer. We pray for the believer in the midst, and we ask that God would, again, do those things that we've talked about. So again, the idea there is is that that causes us, that helps us to focus in on the dynamic of how God brings individuals to himself. The specifics that God uses is, once again, the speaking of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we lend credibility to that as we live in light of the gospel, in the same way that Jesus Christ, 
healed the sick and healed those with diseases, that authenticated the messenger, that authenticated the message that he was giving, uh, that that was from God. We then, by our transformed life and by our transformed living, authenticate the message that we're bringing. It doesn't make the message more true. The message is true. But by living in that way, we are removing the obstacles or maybe the natural obstacles that the individual is going to maybe try to use to not listen to it. Uh, And by the transformed life that we're living, we're now asking God and his sovereignty to move in the workplace, in the lives of these individuals, and, and to use me in this process of leading these individuals to Christ. Whether they come to Christ while you are there working with them or they quit and they go to another job and You know, as it's true for many individuals, they've heard the gospel from person A and B over here, then they move over here and they hear the gospel from person A and B over here, and then they move over here and they hear the gospel again, and then eventually they they come to know Christ. And it's because all these individuals have been, you know, lending credibility to the message by living a transformed life and by sharing Christ with them in wise uh, and clear ways as God gives them opportunity and gives them boldness and at whatever point that God has determined he's going to bring that individual to himself, God does that. And all along the way, we're all these different links in a chain. And so this is, this is what's modeled for us here. And so I think it's best if we follow what is being described here. We don't want to allow ourselves to settle into a, any kind of a sentimental kind of view when it comes to praying. And in a sense, we end up wasting our time. We live in a country where... We sometimes evaluate things uh, by, I guess, what we imagine someone's intent is. And we say, well, you know, I know that I may not be praying correctly or the best way for those who are lost, but the Lord knows my heart. Yeah, he does know your heart. And we sometimes think that, well, that's enough. And it's not enough. Remember, no, we're not talking about, you know, being saved. If you don't pray the right way, that doesn't mean you're saved. We're not getting into those things. But God has given us his commands, his instructions, and has modeled these things for us because this is how he desires that we live. This is how he desires that we pray. This is how he desires that we uh, will be used by him, how we're going to be involved in his work in the earth. Well, there's, uh, I, I think that most people can imagine what this would be like. If, if you, let's, say that, let's just say there's a scenario where you raise your child and you never, ever speak about God, ever. You, you proclaim to be a Christian, and let's just say for the story, it's kind of weird, that, that you are a believer, but you never say a word to your children about God. Never. And at some point in time, whether they're 14 or 18 or 22, they become believers. Now, you are going to be glad and you're happy because you know they're going to go to heaven. But I don't know how much joy you're going to have. Because imagine this scenario. So you have your friends praying for you that God would give you opportunities and boldness and clarity to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to your children. And you're very much aware of what they are praying for. And you are also praying this for yourself, for your children. And throughout the years, you have had many wonderful moments where you've been able to talk to your children about Christ sharing bits and pieces of the gospel, talking about Bible stories, weaving these things together to give them an understanding of the gospel. And you are praying that God would, would uh, you know, as the opportunities come, that God would maybe give them an attentive heart as you share the gospel, as you declare it to them. 
And so as you're involved in this process and these individuals are praying for you, imagine the joy when they're again, whether it's age 14 or age 18 or 22, and they then declare to you that they have that they have turned the corner and they have believed in Christ and they've forsaken their sin and they've asked God to forgive them and, and they now consider themselves a, a Christian. They, they believe. I think that your heart will be bursting with joy and being able to share that with those who've been praying for you, there's a, there's a difference in the depth and the quality of the kind of joy that you're going to share together. So it's not that we're not going to have joy when our children become believers, but if we are involved in the process, if, if we're kind of carrying that burden, you know, there's a greater intensity in the heartache. Uh, there's a greater sense of hope when we share the gospel with them. There's a different kind of intensity as we watch them and as we hear them, as we watch them develop as, as individuals and grow into adults. And, and so as we kind of, we're in the struggle, so to speak, to see them, uh, you know, come to Christ. In the same way that, you know, if your child was in some kind of a bad accident and they, they needed all kinds of physical therapy. And the physical therapist says, now look, you know, you're, you're coming, bringing them here to the hospital for physical therapy, you know, twice a week. But that, that's never going to be enough. You have got to work with them every single day if they're going to be able to live in what we would call a normal life. So if you are in the struggle with them and you are doing that therapy with them day in and day out and helping them each step of the way till they finally get to that point to where on their own they can walk and on their own they can run and on their own they can do all these various things. How much greater will your joy be because you've been through all of that with them? You know, you have, you have been sweating. You have been right there next to them uh, helping to, to do everything you can to carry that burden. Same thing when it comes to salvation. Same idea. And I think the joys that we'll have will be greatly multiplied. And so again, as he says, here he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Linsky uh, has a, a series of commentaries in the New Testament. And he says this, the wonder will always remain that God, who is always the primal cause, uses us and our prayers, the secondary causes, and does not discard them. So God uses, sometimes we use the phrase secondary means. God doesn't have to use any of us in any way. But it pleases God. It's part of God's plan for all of us to be in this together. To be in this together in, in, in the lives of the non-believers that, that I interact with, but also to use all of us together in each other's lives as all of us interact with, with non-believers. And if we're all praying this way, I do believe that we will see... Uh, much greater results. That doesn't mean that, that within a month there'll be a thousand people coming to know Christ. It'd be great if that happened. Uh, and I'm not saying that it happened. But there's, just, there's going to be a, different, a difference in the way that we look at people and the way that we look at prayer and the way that we look at our circumstances. It's going to be different because now we're thinking differently. Just, just the idea of knowing that there's, let's say there's, that you know for a fact there are five people that are praying for you every day. They've, they've said, look, we'll, we'll pray for you each day that God will give you opportunities to be able to share the gospel. You're going to be looking at your day completely different. You're going to have an awareness of God working in various circumstances. Your eyes are going to be, you know, as the eyes of faith, are going to be opened. And you may not see something the very first day, but you, will, you, you won't be able to help but notice all these differences in the lives of the individuals that you, that, uh, that you work with. 
As you interact with him, as you hear it, maybe a difference in the tone of voice, or, you, or you, you begin to notice that one of them is talking to you more, or maybe you begin to notice that someone is talking to you more often about personal things, or maybe an individual is, is um, uh, no longer as close as they were when it came to maybe some of their private conversations or sharing their burdens or being free with their feelings. In other words, they begin to trust you. They begin to, to kind of move or gravitate towards you for, so, for whatever the reason. And God is moving in their life because God, again, is not going to save them apart from the sharing of the gospel. And at this present moment, you are the one. You are there. And that it pleases God to, to use us in this entire process. And it's a great and a marvelous thing. And so that's why I think it's important for us to pray that way. I think everybody would, would agree that prayer is crucial for effective evangelism. Prayer, again, as I said before, as it relates to evangelism, as traditionally related to a form of just praying for the names of individuals, maybe praying for a few circumstantial things, but that's about it. But again, as, as I said, Jesus and Paul taught that prayer or evangelistic prayer should be more concerned with the saints rather than the sinners in connection with the need for evangelism. So again, that is the key. We're praying for their salvation. And this is, I believe, the best way. I'm not saying it's the only way. It's the best way. It's the most biblical way to be praying for their salvation. Uh, it is in harmony with the New Testament to pray that God would send forth spirit-filled believers. So when, so when it comes to this uh, situation that we're all very much aware of because it's been in the news of what took place yesterday at Walmart, how do we pray for those families that lost loved ones? How do you pray for them? Well, normally, we would ask for God to comfort them. Nothing wrong with that. We're asking God to comfort them. But we must remember, their greatest need is Christ. Of what good is comfort? And if they truly are comforted, but they never come to know Christ. And so we ask that God would raise up believers who would volunteer to, whether it's bring these families a meal, uh, volunteers who own a, a funeral home, you know, because there's free funerals being offered to some individuals, that God would, there's going to be all kinds of opportunities for believers to be able to minister the gospel. But we want to pray that God would give those believers boldness because in these kinds of situations, there can be great, a great amount of fear to share the gospel because we know what the world will say. The world might be upset and say, oh, you Christians are horrible. You're using this horrible situation as a way to try to get converts to your religion? You're trying to use this as a way to get converts to join your church? What kind of uncaring, desensitized people are you? That's how the world looks at it. So we need boldness to overcome that, to disregard that, and to get to know these individuals and to put ourselves in positions as we try to do our best to try to help them and do give them comfort and practical help to be able to share what with them? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what does Romans 1 say? The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Do we believe that or not? And there will be those who will have boldness and there will be, we may not, we may not hear the stories in this lifetime, but there will be those who will come to Christ because someone had the boldness cared enough 
even though it may have seemed awkward to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those individuals. And it does require wisdom. I don't know how many of you have seen this. There's a, it's a very interesting videotape. I've, there's a, these, these two magicians. They've been around for a long time. Tell and Penn or something. One of them's like six foot ten. It's a huge guy. So anyway, he, and I don't know which is which, but the tall one. Uh, he was talking about, he met, he met some, I guess it was, I think it was a Gideon uh, is what he met. And the guy offered him a Bible, and so they kind of basically talked. And so he ends up, the, the Gideon ends up sharing the gospel with the guy, and, and this, the tall magician, he, he doesn't, you know, he's not going to believe, you know, and he, but, but, this, but, but he, he's talking about this encounter. But this is what he says, which I thought was unusual, uh, and maybe it's important for believers to hear. He said this. He said, you know, he said, I think it was really neat that that guy shared what he believed with me because he believes this is the truth. And if what he believes is actually true, and I really am going to go to hell, then that's the most important message that there is. And the fact that he would go ahead and, and be brave enough to share that with me, I respect that. Now, he didn't become a believer, but it was interesting that he had that kind of perspective on this individual uh, in his own words about this encounter. He wasn't belittling him or any of those kinds of things. But he recognized uh, that, it, that it's not the fashionable thing to do. And this was several years ago, so I, I don't know how many it was. I don't know if it was three years or six years. It doesn't really matter. But the idea is, is that that's how the world is. So when we pray then for, those, for, these, for, these, uh, for, the, for the families of these victims, we can pray that God would raise up and send them believers. And that again, that God would give them boldness and God would give them clarity to be able to present the gospel. And it may be in some cases right away. In other cases, it may, be, it may be later. The relationship develops. In some places, it may be in bits and pieces, and then eventually the whole thing. In other places, it may be all at once. Uh, because we, I don't know what, we don't know what's going on in someone's life that may have brought to the point to where they're ready to hear. But that's how we pray. And so we're not handcuffed. We're not, ah, we're not praying, dear Lord, I pray you comfort them. It's almost like we're saying, dear Lord, please comfort them. I have no idea how you're going to do it. I don't know what you're going to do, but just do it. That's not what we're asking God to do. We know exactly how God's going to do that. And we we understand that what the greatest need in their life really is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Romans 1.16, where it talks about that the uh, gospel is the power of God, it begins with these words, for I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. So that's why I said, which I think some people misunderstood, we took our prayer bulletin and we wiped out all the names for salvation. Not that we're never going to pray for them again, because we are going to pray for them again. But now what we want is the name of the individual. And so if Sean is asking, let's say Sean has, let's say there's some client that he's met and he has, for whatever reason, uh, he may have more than one client that's not saved, but for whatever reason, someone is heavy on his heart. He says, pray for and he gives us the name. So we pray for that salvation, that individual salvation. And how will we do that? We will pray for Sean. We will ask, so we'll say, we'll say, we'll ask the Lord uh, that, that God would give Sean opportunities, that God would open doors for Sean to be able to share the gospel with, we'll just call the guy Gerald, with Gerald. And that God would give Sean boldness. That God would give Sean the ability to speak clearly, to communicate clearly the gospel. That, that, that God would, would work in this man's heart when, when Sean gives the gospel. And that he, that he would take seriously the things 
uh, that Sean has to say. So then, whether it's in a month or three months, what have you, if this guy may not have come to know, have, have come to know Christ yet, but it'd be encouraged to all, an encouragement to all of us when Sean says, you know, I really didn't know how this was going to happen, but I've actually had two or three opportunities to, to meet Gerald, and we actually had coffee once, and we talked about church and the Bible, and then we got together again, and he shared with me how he grew up, and he grew up Roman Catholic, and he doesn't like Catholicism, he doesn't like Christians, and just asked that God would give me more wisdom. And he tells us later on that, God, that he had another opportunity because something's happened in Gerald's life, and, and he's was able to begin to start to explain the gospel to them. He might even tell us, you know what, we got interrupted a few times and it kind of made it awkward. And so we start praying more fervently that God would begin to open the door uh, and that that there would be a better situation. And so all along the way, we're seeing God answer prayer. All along the way, we're seeing God using Sean. All along the way, Sean is experiencing the prayers of the saints for him in the life of this individual. And... There'll be two things. If this individual still doesn't come to know Christ, there'll be great disappointment, which there should be. We should be, we should be heavily burdened for this individual and continue to pray. But I also believe that there'll be a great deal of joy that we multiplied among all of us because each step along the way, we've been right there with our brother, encouraging him, praying for him, being encouraged ourselves as he shares how God has been working in the life of this individual each step along the way. Uh, what, a, what a great thing it would be if that individual comes into Christ and that individual is baptized. Imagine how full his heart would be when you walk in and says, you know, uh, Sean talked to us about you two years ago. And we've been praying that, that God would give Sean opportunities to be able to share the gospel with you and that and that God would give Sean boldness, and that God would give Sean clarity. And then the next person, you know, Sean, and the same thing is repeated several times. And, feel that, and that person will then begin to look back and say, I can see even more clearly how God was working in my life during that, when you were praying for Sean. My life was becoming different. And I was, you know, I was running into Sean at weird times. Or Sean would come to mind, I would call Sean. Or I knew that Sean would pray, and so I, I didn't even believe in God. And I asked Sean to pray for me, and whatever it may happen to be. And so I think that, that if we begin to move in that direction, I think that our hearts will be encouraged. We'll be praying again more in harmony with the New Testament. I think it will be very, very exciting uh, to see that. And we will also probably find ourselves more often ourselves sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others because we will be recognizing the opportunities that God gives to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and for your word. And Father, for maybe most of us, there are people that we know that are non-believers, people that we, that we love very dearly. In some cases, Father, individuals that we have known for Many, many, many years. With some of us, Father, those friends that we have uh, may be coming towards the end of their life. They're getting to that point to where things are going to begin to happen. The body's going to begin to break down. For others, it may not be as dire, but we know that no one is promised tomorrow. I pray, Lord, that you would give to us a very a growing and a heavy burden for those that we come in contact with that don't know Christ. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to 
to pray in this manner and to pray for each other in this manner. To do so, Father, with a great sense of expectation that you will answer these requests because we are praying right in line with the word of God. We are doing exactly what you have said we should do that's outlined by both Christ and by Paul. Father, we look forward to hearing how in all the small details you are working in the lives of our non-believing friends and in the lives of our believing friends who will begin to have opportunities to share the gospel. We know, Lord, that the evil one is always going to be working constantly to prevent the sharing of the gospel from taking place. Help us, Father, once again to return to our roots, to what it says in the book of Romans, that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation to those who believe. And so, Father, we ask that you would uh, cause this to begin to burn deep into our, uh, and it would be cemented deep into our hearts and minds. And the Father, we would live in obedience in this way. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, again for those who shared the gospel with us, that we might hear the gospel and believe. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.